Outcast UK on TikTok and Instagram. Just search Play Outcast UK. There we go, Outcast UK. Who needs posh radio style production when you can just do a voice note on your phone? So it's Graham. I'm just like walking my dog. Hello, mate. Hello. And I thought it would be a good opportunity to explain to you the relationship between me and Stephanie Hairs for a bit of context. Uh, we worked for the same radio station. I did the drive time show, she did the breakfast show, and they were amongst the greatest years of my life. But that is what we call your early 20s. Anyway, since then a lot's changed for both of us, and this is our first in-depth catch-up in the best part of a decade. Um, so we recorded it earlier on this summer. I had a little cheese drink of wine, she was on the mineral water, and um, here's what happened. Yeah, mate, go fetch it. Time for that big intro sequence I've made. Play Outcast UK. This is like when I'm 12, parents would go to the pub, and um, I'd be in the council st- on the council set walking around the block in my mum's clothes. Stephanie Hurst is a UK radio DJ and media figure with a career spanning 30 years. She's hosted some of the most popular radio programmes in the country, but in 2014 came out publicly as transgender in a BBC interview. Since then, she's become one of the most visible LGBTQ people in the UK, but in doing so, she's had to learn about herself and her craft all over again. Lots of my relationships ended because I told them... I deal with this. Really? But it always came, Graham, it always came with a caveat. It's fine. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do anything about it. Here she speaks at length about her life, her career, and her transition for the first time. Over three episodes, Stephanie Hurst gives one of the most in-depth and personal interviews she's ever given. It was a bloke with long hair they saw. Very feminine looking acting, trying to act guy with different mannerisms on the Friday, but on the Monday. Hi. Oh, and my name's changed as well. That shouldn't have been there. And I hated having sex anyway. I just wanted a cuddle. Getting really open now, aren't we? Outcast UK with Graham Smith. Made up, you agreed to do this. I was really made really? up. I was like, yeah, you were like... Um, oh, thanks, love. Literally top of the list of people I really wanted Keep to speak to. Because... No, honestly, I, I've been nervous about doing this. I've been nervous about talking to you. I've been in a funny mood for about an hour because I'm like... So much, so much to ask that I was kind of like, I'm just going to do what I do sometimes. I'm just going to take a, a little bit of a backseat and just like start in the beginning because I've heard bits of this and I just want it put together because this as a story is, is an epic story, isn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> where does it begin? Where does it begin? It begins um, as a, as a, as a child, it begins with an obsession for something called radio, with an obsession about this thing that emitted music. And I was just, oh, obsessed, obsessed by it. And I couldn't get enough of it. And I've said this, I say this quite a lot now, actually. Um, I think radio is one of your first freedoms in life. It's like, it's like when you get your bike when you get your first bike and you've learned, learned to ride it and you go to the end of the street and then you get a bit brave and then you go to the next street along and the next street along, you feel like you've gone on holiday. That's one of your first freedoms. And radio, a radio, getting a radio 
is one of your first freedoms because it's at that point you can start to make decisions about your musical tastes in life and your choices. Whether you were growing up, if you grew up, say, for instance, in the 70s or 80s, you know, you could have been listening to a diet of Demis Roussos records or something that your nan or parents were ramming down your neck and you tuned around the dial and then you hear this bloke on the radio called John Peel and you're like, what's that? And... And whether it was drum and bass or rave or even back to the 70s punk or even before that, you know, this guy was playing a whole variety of stuff that would never get airplay. But that allows you, or whether you would just pop, you are an out and out Kylie fan and that's what you liked, but your parents didn't. You could make your musical choices and you had your favourite DJs and used to sit and used to record the chart show on a Sunday and all those kind of things. Radio is a fair, is one of your first freedoms. And I fell in love with this thing because I that thing was escapism from this confusion that was in my head. There was a there was this finagle of confusion. And I couldn't work out why I felt different, I just did. And I think the kids at school worked out that I was different before I'd worked it out myself. When I was at school, preschool even, Mm -hmm. this is three, four years old, and they would say, all the girls go to that side of the classroom, all the boys go to that side of the classroom, and I'd go and sit with the girls. By the way, if you're listening to this, the penny might have just dropped. So I go and sit with the girls and like, no, get back over here. You're a boy. Stay there. A couple of weeks later. Now we're going to play that game again. All the girls go over there. All the boys go over there. Come back over here. There. Because that was my automatic default. It was my natural state of comfortableness to go and sit with the girls because in my head I was... I didn't I didn't know the difference between boys and girls. I just did what I felt felt comfortable to me. Because yeah. my brain formed opposite to the way I came out. My soul formed as as female. And I you know, as a child you've you've not got the vocabulary to be able to deal with to 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 verbalize it, have you at all? It's yeah. just you, no, you just you just do what you do because that's what you you know, children are not born they're not born bigots. That's that's taught behaviour. Yeah. So all of the things we're, we're taught and we learn and we go to school and our parents teach us. That's that's all part of of be, becoming you know a, a, an adult, a functioning adult in this in the world. Um. So I I knew that at school that that something I was I was different, and I used to daydream a lot. I mean, I was at even during secondary school and. I was the kid that spotted the stray dog in the playground five minutes before everyone else had because I was looking out the window daydreaming about being on the radio. I just was. I just zoned out. It, they couldn't connect with me. I was in an, I was on I was on another planet thinking about how I'm gonna get out of here. So that was So where was where was here? You you grew up in, in Barnsley, didn't you? Yeah, I grew up in Barnsley in the north of England and on a on a working class post-war council estate. Uh, my parents, Joyce and Derek, um, 
worked really hard. My mum was a housewife and my dad fixed TVs for a living or installed TVs and also was in a band as a singer and a guitarist and um, grafted and, and tried to earn every penny they possibly could to give their, their new child the best start in life. My mum said many times that, you know, I went without to give you. I had holes in my shoes. But as long as you had Clark's shoes, I went without to give you. I did everything I possibly could. So this, so this is the, this is 1980s yeah, Barnsley, Barnsley, just to yeah. build a picture. Yeah. Working class, you know, some of the, if anyone's listening to this around the world, um, you may have seen a film with the actor Ewan McGregor in called Brassed Off. Kind of that area. We didn't have a pit, but that village grimly, fictitious town of Grimley um, is actually called Grimesop and that is where my mum was from. She was from Grimesop. My dad was from a place called Longwood which was a couple of villages ahead and then a few villages ahead of that was Athersley where I was raised and um, I wouldn't change it for the world Graham. I really wouldn't. No. The beatings from the bullies all of that kind of stuff. You wouldn't change the beatings from the bullies. What makes you say that? I think because that made me tough, but I can't blame the bullies. I can I can apportion fifty percent of the blame of to the bullies for kicking my head in, for being spindly, effeminate, and different. Of course I can. But the other fifty percent I must take responsibility because that was my gob. <laughs> that was me gobbing off on the street, immediately running through my mum and dad's front door, running upstairs into their bedroom, opening up the bedroom window and going, You can't get me. They did <laughs> next time they saw me on the street. <laughs> so so some of it, you know, I can't I can't blame all of the bullies. I did some of the gobbing off myself because well look what I do for a living, sit behind this thing. Well exactly talking. Yeah. <laughs> do you think like you get this with there's a there's a lot of LGBT people in radio and a lot of the things that you said there they sound quite familiar <laughs> to me. <laughs> do you think we some some of us do this because there's something in childhood where we just need to go, do you know what, fuck you. <laughs> There's a bit of that going on. There's definitely a bit of, yeah, I really like this. This is my way out of whatever life that you people want me to yeah. have. And I'm going to follow this. And it almost like radio. Excuse me. It was the engine oh, to get out of totally. the situation I was in. Totally was the engine. I was banging on the door of my local radio station, which was called Radio Air. Which is Radio, radio Air. Air. In Leeds. And um, oh, I was obsessed with this thing. And I was just ringing the radio station phone number, 455362, literally. You remember oh, the number? Oh, even I love the area that. code, 0532, affordable 5362. Oh, just rang them. And eventually I said to them, can I come in and look around? And I think they got so tired of me. I was like, um, can I come in? And I was like, yeah, come in. And I never left. <laughs> so I used to... Did you, what did you do? You just stayed on like answering and, the phones, all the things you're doing and moved Yeah, up. essentially, yeah. So back in the that. day, um, they'd play vinyl, which is obviously huge again now, but they'd play vinyl and I would put the records away, make tea for the DJs, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and just generally be a dog's body. There was lots of us. Chris Moyles was one of them as well. Who's a, Chris is a year older than me, but we met at Radio Air when we were, teenagers when we were kids um 
so we were just we were lucky to get in. It's it's, it's different now. These were full service radio stations, and there was lots to do. So the DJs, because they were superstars, and they had their Ford Escort XR3Is with their name written down the side, branded branded yeah. cars. Uh, they were off to their next engagement. Yeah. So uh, so it was left to us lot to um, to mop up their mess, which was brilliant because it got us. We'd do anything. We'd do anything for any DJ. They asked us to do it. We'd do it didn't care because you were learning and this this thing and I think it's interesting when I look at my life and I look at how things have panned out for me I think and this may be you know with you as well anyone that goes through a personal struggle they need something excuse me they need something which is a a, an escapism and it becomes an obsession because that that fills that void, doesn't it? It, it makes you think about something Absolutely. else. And I think that for us, why radio in particular was the thing that, that made our fears and worries go away. And also, I mean, yeah, a way out of the, the other bits of life that weren't great. I just remember, from my own perspective, I remember sitting in a radio studio and going, oh, I've got some power for the first time. It wasn't, that's not the only reason I wanted to do it, but I remember thinking, oh, I'm being listened to. People are listening to what I'm saying and being taken seriously-ish. And yeah, seriously why ish. I did it. <laughs> ish. Um, so tell me, like, so you were at school there and you, like, so very early on, some of the kids, sort of the way kids do, jump to their conclusions. It turns out they were right. Yeah, they were right, yeah. Um, yeah. So how did how did things move on from there? Um, like, talk to me about say adolescence, maybe like your early teenage years, when I imagine the penny would start to drop big time around about that. Yeah, point, puberty I'm was. Um, yeah, yeah, that was difficult because you've got all the girls who are obviously starting to to change. Yeah. And that really should have been catching my eye going, oh, she's attractive. Hello. No, I was like, yours are growing and mine not. What? What? Did you feel like that? Were oh, like, massively. Was there a little bit of jealousy? Oh, hugely. Um, there's a photograph, just going back to radio, and Radio Air. There's a photograph of me. I'm about 13 and I'm stood behind one of the DJs, a guy called Duncan Larkin. And I'm leaning over my T-shirt. The way it's kind of hanging off me looks like there's some form of breast growth. And I remember getting that when you went to photo processing or whatever. You got your photographs you'd taken and you'd look at them all like you found, like your photos from holiday. There'd always be a sticker on saying the the um, something was wrong, where it was all blurred or whatever. Yeah, you remember that? You'd get that, a little yeah. sticker on it or something yeah. saying that the... Um, was it aperture? Quality yeah, quality control. control that was it. Max Spielman, quality that was control. It. So you'd sit outside your Max Spielman or whatever. And I remember sitting there looking at these photos when I was about 13. I'd gone to have them processed. And this photo, and I can still look at it now and it still makes me emotional because, you know, I'd, I'd rub my finger over that part of the t shirt because it looked like my breasts were growing. And they weren't. But all the other, all the other girls at school were developing. So that was that was tough. So what did I do? Made more jingles and shows in my bedroom. Yeah. So you just when when threw things got myself, tough, you threw yourself into radio the studio. Threw, always, 
always, things get tough, studio, every time. It's my escape and I can't, I can't help it. And that's, a, that's, that's some form of default setting. And I think that goes for all of us. You know, when we're in, yeah, we're in despair, you know, we go to a default. For some people, that's drugs, alcohol, other vices. Whereas for me, it was, it was the radio studio. And that out, that helped me create. Um, interesting, there's a, there's a, there was a broadcaster. We lost him to HIV, AIDS in the 1980, uh, 1990s called Kenny Everett. And um, Kenny was married and, but then in the, in the, I think in late eighties was forced out by the press. And I love the, his coming out story is incredible, Kenny's. Uh, I don't know this, you know, I don't know Kenny. Kenny's coming out, out story. story so. Kenny was the most innovative and creative radio broadcaster, I would say ever. There's, there's, there was one, one Kenny Everett. It was a big star on television. Huge star on television as well. But um, he stood on the steps of his house, opened his door with his two boyfriends and went, darlings, darlings, two boyfriends are better than one. And the press didn't know what to do with it. They just, they no. just did not know what to do with it. Two boyfriends are better than one. God love you, Kenny. But as soon as Kenny came out, his radio work, I, as a Kenny Everett fan think changed still had how did it start change? the magic the magic was still there but he he wasn't in turmoil anymore and i can relate to that because do i come into the studio as much anymore do i make as much stuff anymore i do but i don't have those anguish times in my head because the gender dysphoria that i was feeling isn't there and it's gone so, yeah, I still, I have an idea. I come in and make it. The ideas have not gone. Yeah. But that turmoil, that pain, that anguish that you feel, the only way to get rid of it was to obsess about the radio studio and coming in. And that's what Kenny did. And listen to Kenny's work after he came out. That magic is, it's there. Oh my gosh, it could never go away. But it wasn't to the extent that it was whilst he was really? in pain. Well, personally, I think that personally yeah no no it makes it does make sense so from my perspective i know more about kenny everett from the reruns on tv yeah many years later and the best, best possible taste. taste that character and character which so is funny. that gene cupid cupid, cupid stunts. stunts that was it and they printed that, that in the radio times amazing cupid <laughs> stunt genius Kenny Everett changed a lot of stuff didn't he and he introduced a lot of the british public to a lot of concepts he did and i think that I think just for what he did for LGBT people as well. Yeah. I think that really made a, a massive difference. And I don't think he's given enough credit. You're pushing yourself there into into a radio studio. There's a young teenager. I'm guessing around this time, this is between the ages and I'm going to guess 13 and 16. Yeah. yeah. Push yourself into that radio studio. Get yourself where you want to be. So you got there and you got really good. When I was starting out, as I'm... I'm not that much younger than you, but I'm a few years younger than you. I remember looking at um, the Hallam FM website in the late 90s and you were on there and you sat on the toilet. Do you remember the picture? Oh, gosh, the yeah, picture. the toilet one. Sitting on the boat, yeah. I remember being like, wow. <laughs> wow. Gosh. Um, 
in essence, a character that you were playing. I guess, really, yeah. There's, there's. What's funny, Graham, is that the more I, how long has it been? It's been almost a decade, in some respects. Give a couple of years since my outing, and we'll come to how I did it. No doubt. Um. But the further away I get from, well, it's only my old name. Still the same person, still got the same values. But that mm-hmm. almost a caricature that I created, mm-hmm. the Hursty character. If When I did first transition, I was too, it all just happened. But now I've got some distance from it. I look back and go, gosh, like the shot of me on the toilet. There's another one of me in the bath. I was just trying to do different things with photos. Yeah. I think I'm reading the newspaper on the on the toilet, Anna. Yeah, you were reading the newspaper. With a fag in yeah. my hand. Yeah, it was the very, 90s. very of the times, very nineties. Yeah, I think I was, was going Oasis, for that kind like, of, yeah, you know, loaded, shoot that kind of gritty nineties thing. I've never discussed this photo. It was my friend David Massey that took them. Great yeah, photos. They were. They, they made me think. They they made you think all the right things for what you were trying to portray at the time. And, and we ended up working with each other for a good we few did. years. I say with each other. We were on opposite ends of the schedule, but we we worked for the same radio station. And um, but I saw you a lot. We always a saw lot. each other a lot. In meetings. We'd always chat. And, yeah, we, we had lots of respect for each other. Those Thursday meetings. When you look, when I look back at some of the pictures <sighs> of them now, and there's some some. Some of the people, I'm just like, oh my God, we were all in the same room at the same time. And our dearly departed friend Dunks, who we've just lost. Yeah. Yeah, things like that, when you look at them pictures. God love you, Dunks. I suppose what I'm trying to say to you here is that I was in awe. (laughs) Sure. How old was I then? About 19. Really nervous. Why? Whenever I'm, well, well I've, I've always been a bit like that anyway. I mean, the, 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 that's one of the things I get out of the way by doing radio shows is I'm, I'm back in nerves a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, you were a, a larger than life character surrounded by two other larger than life characters. And now the older I get, the more I see that you were almost like a, a jobbing, very good actor, I guess, at that point. It was a great show. For anyone that didn't hear it, it was a bloody great show. And it, it, it just by listening to it I taught preferred, me a lot. Being around I, it I taught me a lot. I Graham's Daily Dollop. <laughs> I forgot about that. I covered the, the show, yeah, didn't so I? Yeah, so the show was... Daily Dollop. The show was called Hursty's Daily Dose. <laughs> and, yeah, when we were off, you were our cover because we thought yeah. you were the best. I've always believed, I've always... I was shitting myself when I got asked to do that. I was so scared, so well, I've scared. always believed... Trying so hard. You were brilliant, and I've always believed... This goes back to when I Thank covered you. the breakfast show on Hallam, um, which was my local... Who were you covering for, Daryl Denham or something like that? I was covering for Daryl, and I love Daryl yeah. dearly. Yeah. Um, but I, I wasn't allowed to do it anymore after I'd done it once. Why? Because you were very, very, very good. <laughs> so yeah. the people that did get to cover it um, weren't a threat. And I mean that with the kindest heart. With yeah, the yeah, kindest yeah. heart. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realise that at the time. I was miffed at the time. But it's yeah, only... Yeah, that, I was yeah. like... Because that Daryl's show 
was the show I based my breakfast show on. That was the template. I've told Daryl this. But it was the template. Really? Yes. Daryl Denham's breakfast show on Hallam FM in the late 90s. What was it called, that breakfast show? It was just called Daryl Denham. Daryl Denham. Denham. He, did, he, did, he had another show called, oh, called The Unshaven yes, he used Haven. to do an ex- That was so naughty. Yeah, he, did a, uh, he did an X-rated breakfast show late at night, um, which was called... The first time I've ever heard fisting and water sports <laughs> said in <laughs> 10 o'clock at night on Radio City. I was like... He played... Um, I remember on his first show, and it was networked across the whole... Network E-Mac. station, yeah. And I remember... Um, <laughs> I remember him playing the last song on, I think it was The Unshaven Haven, which was the name for the X-rated breakfast show because it was on the network. So it couldn't be the X-rated breakfast show because mm-hmm. he wasn't the breakfast DJ on these other stations. Of and he played Uncle Fucker from South Park, the musical... And it ends with the words, suck my balls. And apparently... It's 1998, this, isn't it? Yeah, 1998. And it's FM radio, yeah. And the guy in Newcastle, an incredible broadcaster called Alan Robson, and you just get the end of it. I won't say again what it said. And then you get this gap. And Alan comes on in his northeast accent and goes, I don't really know what I make of all that. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to call us tonight, Alice, please do. Oh, <laughs> five, whatever it is. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think there's a recording of it somewhere. I remember vividly one specific thing, and it was um, to Ricky Mart, the tune of Livin' La Vida Loca, and I'm sure it was about Michael Portillo. <laughs> and it was so edgy. The Darryl, stuff that was, I didn't understand Darryl it. broke the mould in, in late 90s radio. Really groundbreaking. But I wasn't allowed to do his breakfast show anymore. And the point I'm making here is the fact that I was like, but surely you want your replacement when you're off to be good because they may go somewhere else if it's, if it's just playing songs and not really doing much. They might yeah. go looking for some entertainment. Well, you don't want people to tune out of the radio station. And I always thought this. So I always wanted the best person for the job. The next best thing to us was you. I, so <laughs> you were on. Well, I'm flattered by that. So that, that I was very young and very terrified by brilliant. that as well. So let's move towards like like the mid to late nineties. Uh, you're on. I think you're on Hallam FM at that point. You're moving on to Viking FM and Hairsty is the hottest presenter, one of, on UK commercial radio. But it's all, you're playing a, your personality, I guess, was crafted to keep the listeners happy more than you. How were you, how were you feeling when, you know, at the end of the day, you finish your breakfast, you go mid-afternoon, let's talk about the mid-afternoon bit, when you go home, you've been at work, you're knackered, You've got all afternoon to yourself to do it. How are you feeling at that point when you shut the front door? Um, some days, just exhausted and tired from getting up at 4.35 o'clock in the morning. It does do that. Just breaks you. It's not for, it's not for some people. It wasn't for If you've me. ever had jet lag, it's permanent jet lag. Permanent. Yeah. You never find your groove with it. 
And then you go to no. work, you have to give your all. I ain't complaining. It's the best job in the world. But then by 10 o'clock, you're like, I've just spoken for four That's hours. Good. I've given my all. And then you you get some people that are fresh in at nine o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock, let's have a meeting. I'm like, I can't <laughs> even function. I've been up since 4.30. It's now yeah. 10 a.m. I've spoken for four hours. I, I just can't even do this. Ugh. You're not even just speaking to yourself. People might not realise it's not just you in a room going, here's something funny. It's you. And I've seen the setup. It was the it was the original radio team. It was you at the centre of it, uh, a producer who's usually a very good producer. You had a number of them and they were all very good. Um, two other people. And they were both very big personalities as well. And you're at the centre of this sort of... And I, I, I get that that can be draining. I find that draining when I have to do that sometimes you're doing that all the time and you've got this huge question in your head this unfulfilled need this you feel i don't know you feel like the real you isn't allowed to exist but she was and i had a whole wardrobe at home with locks on and when the dysphoria got so bad I would just come home and get changed. I just felt better. And be someone else? Not someone else. Or be you. Me. I shouldn't have said someone else. It's being you, yeah. isn't it? People, it's interesting. Actually, let me, because you've got previous, because that's how I like to refer this to people that have known me a long time. It's like you're some form of criminal for knowing me this long. You've got previous. You know me. You'll... There'll be certain things I do. I might roll my eyes in a certain way. I look different, but I might roll my eyes in a certain way. There'll be something I do where you can still see that person. Or is that not? Do, do you see me as two different people? And I wouldn't be offended either way. I'm not. No, I, I was thinking this myself. You make so much more sense now. You make so much more sense now. Yeah. I think people have said that. You're not alone saying that. You you really do. Like, I I, I prefer you 110% more like this. I feel like I can tell that you're more comfortable with yourself. I, I obviously didn't understand what was going on when I was younger. I mean, you never know what's going on in people's lives, do you? No, you don't. You never know what's going on you in people's don't. lives. And everyone used to say to me, they thought, they thought there was something different about me. The thoughts. Generally. Yeah, yeah, the thought. Yeah, I think I did. I think looking back, I thought, I, I, I think I presumed that you might be gay, but that wasn't a possibility for you. Um, and that wasn't the case, but, you know, I was maybe moving in the right direction with that. I think yeah, you, you, you weren't alone in thinking that. A lot of people thought that. Um, but I was, my escapism was coming home. I mean, when my dysphoria was really bad, when I was 17, 18, oh, I was, I went to my GP and um, I just passed my driving test. What did you say? I just passed my driving test in my Vauxhall Nova, which I still have. Still, still got, got it. Yep. And um, I went to my GP, told him what I felt like. And his words were something along the lines of, it was like, I strongly recommend you don't take this path in life. Those were definitely the words. And I think he said something along the lines of, you'll lose family, friends, you won't have a great career. You, 
it's just not going to go well. And spoke da- and spoke feel? down to me. I sat. I got back outside, went in the car, and cried my eyes out. And it was at Wait. that point. It was at that point where I really threw myself into radio. I really threw myself in, like to obsession. You look up the word obsession in the dictionary. There's a picture of me, age seventeen, smiling at you. Um, oh, just heartbroken. You know, there was a lady called Caroline Cossey who was a Bond model and uh, she was a model of Bond girl and all sorts of stuff. And she was outed by the press in the in the early 80s. And uh, she'd written a book. And when I was around 15, this book was coming out, 14, 15, and I'd fallen asleep on the sofa and I woke up. It must have been school holidays or I must have been off sick or something. And uh, a broadcaster called Gloria Honeyford was interviewing her one afternoon on BBC One or BBC Two. And I woke up and this lady's talking about a childhood and how she felt and she started to describe how I felt as a child. So it quickly dawned on me that I think she shows the picture. She went, oh, well, this is how you looked as a little boy. And I went, and I got up, I grabbed tape seven from our video library. (laughs) When people used to have VHSs or Betamax, (laughs) used to label them all and put them in fake bookcases. Those little bookcases with the little cover on. And, um, I grabbed tape seven, stuck it in the tape machine and recorded it and then hid the tape under my bed. That was my Google. So I knew at this point when I was crying my eyes out in my Vauxhall Nova, I knew someone had done this. I knew there was someone else. And then I found out about another lady called April Ashley, who she transitioned in like the 1950s or something. And I was like, there's got to be a way. But you, there's no internet. There's no Google. There's nothing. You, you can't... You, it, how do you find information out about growing? How did growing? you find information other than yeah. that? I don't know. How do you find information out about growing a pair of tits? You, it's literally just the internet, just the isn't internet. it? the internet. And you've gone to your GP, your GP's no. gone, no. This it's isn't happening. So you just internalise yeah, the whole totally. thing. Then by the sound you can't of it. do anything. Or you, my parents used to go to the pub. This is like when I'm 12. Parents would go to the pub and... Um, I'd be in the council st- on the council estate walking around the block in my mum's clothes as a 13-year-old. So Did anyone see? No, no, I, I got away with it. I've, I, I, honestly, Graham, I've got no idea. No idea how yeah. I got away with it, genuinely. So I just internalised everything and threw myself into radio and I'd failed relationships. And threw myself into DJing, performing live. I'd, I'd crowd surf because I wasn't scared of dying. I, I was quite happy if, if it would happen because it would make it go away. So I would throw my crowd surf off DJ stands. I've been to the chiropractor today actually because my shoulder is Did playing you? up. And I think it's an old crowd surfing injury <laughs> from being 18 or 19, chucking myself off DJ stands. Oh. So yeah, don't 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 crowd surf, kids. You fall off. No, it's all right when you've had a no. load of when you've had it's a crate of Budweiser. But it's when you wake up the next day, and you go, I can't move the right hand side of my body. <laughs> what was I doing last night? You know, <laughs> I, I remember this was a few years ago. Um, we were. Oh, I was going through a really mad time actually, if I'm honest, at that point. But that's for another time. Um, 
And we've stood at a bar in the, on the Northern Quarter in Manchester and there's a few radio people out and you were talking to, I will mention no names, you'll know what I mean, an ex of yours that ended up with a friend of yours um, and about how you, when you split with this person in the late 90s, you considered at that point maybe this is the time to make the make the change. Yeah, I was and then not. That relationship came to an end because I'd confided I was having a really tough time. It's interesting. It, it You confided. You, you you told her Yeah, yeah. And we are really right. we are really good, close friends. Friends now, yeah. Amazingly yeah. close friends um but at, you know at that time it, it there was less known about it yeah. you know lots of my relationships ended because i told them i deal with this really? but it always came graham it always came with a caveat it's fine i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do anything about it don't worry Wait. i'm not gonna i'm how did the relationships progress beyond that point? They just was, didn't just go any further. Apart from the long no. term, I had a long term relationship with someone for 13 years. And I have a lot of regret with that relationship. A lot. What about? Was this, if you don't mind me asking, was this male or female, female the person you had a relationship with? Feels, it feels weird the- saying I had relationships with, with, with women now because I'm attracted to, to guys. Although I do, I do. You know, if I fell in love with a woman, I fall in love with a woman. You fall in love with the soul of yeah. a person, not, yeah, exactly. not the gender. Yeah. Um, but I like the the arms and caress of a man. Makes you feel safe. And um, yeah, you can't chuck him around in bedroom as much though. <laughs> you can edit that out. Oh no. Um. Yeah, I've got a, re- a lot of regret with that relationship. So, because yeah, what what type of regret in that one? Because it's lasted a long time. Well, thirteen was, years is a long was. time. I've I have regret and guilt. Right. The fact that I regret treating them the way I treat them. How did you treat them? It, just in a way that you think's not good. Appallingly. Cheating, right? Because I was trying to find, I was dealing that the dysphoria was getting at me, and I needed, I needed something to make it go away, and I needed something to distract me, and it would, it an affair. I've had a drink. It seems like a good idea. Okay, so it was all of that, all all of the failings of my relationships, and all of the things I did are to do with this, and it comes. Well, I think it is personally. It's, it's because I was running away from something and I was trying to find something to, to make that go away or Sense something. Or yeah. It was escapism. It was just pure escapism. But I, I broke that person's heart and I, I on numerous occasions, and I, I just have lots of guilt with it. It doesn't keep me awake at night. It doesn't. No. But I just go, that was, that was shit. That was really wrong. 
How could you do that to another person? How could you hurt someone who has got the kindest heart, who would do anything for you, who would literally walk over hot coals and broken glass for you? Genuinely, the most kindest hearted person. You just would so fortunate to have them coming and blessed into your life. Why would you treat them like that? And that's that's the stuff that that I feel upset about. And I just mm. feel bad about it. I feel like it was wrong. So, you know, chances are they're probably not going to listen. They'll never stumble. Who knows? They might. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I really am sorry. Yeah. I just I just feel awful. It doesn't keep me awake at night. But you know when you've... No. We've all got regret. We've all done yeah. stuff wrong. Of course. And I just go, that was... That, that person didn't deserve that at all. No. And I'm really sorry about it. I just... But I want, you know, the reasons why is because I was, I was, I was in pain, but that shouldn't make me, that doesn't give you license to cause other people pain at all. No. Under no circumstances. So, yeah, so so there was, yeah, there was, I upset some people in my life through the pain I was going through internally. And, you know, that happens with lots of people who who are having painful, you know, moments in their life internally. Couldn't agree more. Manifests itself in lots of different ways, doesn't it? You hurt so many people when you're in pain yourself. You just do it to distract. Massively. So, let's move through. That's, that explains for me early career. Smashing it at the top of commercial radio. Um... And then we get to sort of the point at which, without mentioning lots of specifics about companies and stuff, because one of them companies might still pay me. No, do you know what? Uh, I mean, the career was incredible. You know, I yeah. chart show, for instance, ended up doing the national top 40 on a Sunday to 8 million people. It was your dream. It was your right. dream. And that was so, it was made for you that but game. But you know that what? Was made for you. I remember being so proud of you when you got it. But I can't lie by saying that when I got it, there was a moment I thought, I'm even more trapped. Why? Well, I couldn't do anything. I, I'm trapped. I'm not the person I, I was. I should be. I'm not myself. The gender dysphoria is, is sky high. I've just been landed the biggest chart show in the country um all of it was the dr fox chart yeah, show it was that yeah, it, yeah you took over yeah. from foxy me and katie hill katie did it for about a year and a half something like that gosh i love the book it was just you. she's amazing you still yeah, friends massive friends love us a bit and um and then i did about another year and a half two years on my own afterwards and um yeah i i remember feeling incredibly trapped but I alpha mailed it up unbelievably. Just. This is why I, when I hear you say these things about these times, I, I, I suppose maybe more than other people are seeing it from the other side as a, not just a listener or a punter, but as a colleague, a colleague that looked up to you and was like, wow, how is Hersty so confident? How I remember going to a gig once and, 
you guys were, them people loved you when we were in there and you were working as a team and you're really funny and you were stood on a table going, oh, it's, well, I can't remember what you did. <laughs> stood on a table happened though. And I was like, the confidence out of these people and that alpha male in it out of the situation. Well, and what we know now is that you were acting a character and you were giving the people what they wanted. But I saw that and I was like, this person's confidence is rock solid. This is, this is everything I would love to be. And I, I want, and you were, you weren't happy and that it was a surprise for me to hear that. I I wouldn't want any of our old listeners to our show to think that what they got every morning was something false. There was on I would never say it was false. There was only I would one never thing. never say it was false. It was very there real. There was only one thing I never told you. It was that. Although to be honest, I pretty much did say it without saying it. When? Well, I was talking about going for facials all the time. I think it said first a a man, uh, a woman trapped in a man's body as one of the jingles. On the jingles, one of the jingles. It, did. it did. It, it did. did. All it, a woman trapped yeah. in a man's Peter body. Peter Dixon, voiceover yeah. guy from the X Factor. Can't believe yeah. that, right? I just, I said it. I, I, it was plain sight. It sounds like it just sounds like a guy. <laughs> it does. But it, <laughs> it wasn't. No. It wasn't. I was saying it to everyone. So the signs, the clues were there. The clues were there. And I'm trapped in this world and I have to get off. And I went out for lunch with a really close, dear friend of mine called Kate. We went to all bar one at Millennium Square. Well. Circa 2011, something like that. And in my deepest despair when I was 17 and that GP and everything, mm-hmm. um, I was at college doing a BTEC media course. And Kate was doing a journalism course. And we hit it off. She's became really good friends. Nothing like that, but we became just good friends. And I confided in her. I remember one, we went wig shopping in Sheffield once. <laughs> I didn't find anything. But uh, she was she was helping me. Anyway, we're sitting in all bar one and it happens to come up in conversation that, you know, she's, she thought, you know, about this. How am I doing with it? And I just said to her, I want to die. I, I can't do it anymore. I just can't. I drive home every single day and think about turning my car into the central reservation, which I had done for years, for years. And thought about taking my life in so many different ways, constantly, because it's the only way I could get out of it. You know, I'm trapped. There's six figures plus coming in salary-wise. There's an Aston Martin sat on the drive. There's Joe Malone candles and Malton Brown hand wash, you name it. Fortnum and Mason hampers. Everything's lovely. But that's material. Means nothing. Means nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Money, of course, is important. And, you know, you've got you to heat your house. You've got electric and you've got to eat and all sorts of stuff. 
But all of that stuff, it's as long as, you know, as long as I can pay the bills, it's all right. And I was just trapped. So the only way to stop it was to press stop. And also, I'm on the air every day doing a breakfast show. So I'm getting all of the daily newspapers. As you remember in that studio, we'd, you'd probably read them during the show as well. They were all piled up in the studio. So I would, you all drew on them. Yeah, there was post-it notes. Used to be post-it notes on the top where we'd we'd mark them all up of the great of the best stories. And um, I do apologise if I'm bunged up. My air fever's playing up something rotten. And um, I would look through the newspapers, and there'd be stories about someone who transitioned with a really bad side profile photo. Headlines: something like gender bending freak, sex change Charlie. All of this stuff how the British media were allowed to do that and what they've done to... Oof, that's another conversation Mm -hmm. entirely. Looking at some of the coverage on this issue, on a lot of the issues we've talked about on this, if you look at some of the newspaper headlines from the last 30 years, they'd knock you sick. It will knock you sick. It's outrageous. How those people sleep at night in their beds, I've got no idea what they've done to people. But... I would see all of that and that would just, I'd be on the air. I'd be flicking through the newspapers. There'd be a minute and a half left on the song and I'd see a headline like that. I'd be in bits and then I've got to make people laugh. So Kate says to me, go and see your GP. Go and see your GP. I'm like, I can't. I went to see them years ago. It's it's pointless. I can't do anything about it. I can't. I just, I'm, I'm trapped. And... She begged me and I did. So on my way home, I went to my local GP surgery. I made an appointment and I sent her a screen grab, took a photo of the said appointment, which was like two weeks later at half four in the afternoon. So I arrived for the appointment half hour early. Now bear in mind, I've been up 11 and a half hours at this point. I'm like, I'm flagging a little bit. You know, I've, I've been up since four this morning. I need a power nap. And so I had a nap in the car before going in to see the GP to tell her about this huge issue I've been dealing with for the last 30 years. Anyway, I went in and um, I spoke to her. She went, well, uh, I know quite a bit about this because several people in our village have transitioned. I'm like, have they? Where? I've not seen them. And that's the thing. Trans people are all around us. We've been here forever. And she got me on the pathway. And I, I got in, and I hate saying this, I hate this bit, because I, I got in before the rush. There was a real shift around 2014 when I came out and Caitlyn Jenner came out and Kelly Maloney, the boxing promoter, came out. There was a, there was a real shift because we were in the public eye and we'd done it. And that helped a lot of people. And although our old boss, Mike, who I credit with saving my life because he counselled me from Australia on Skype sessions. Yeah, he's Saved my life, that man. And I wasn't going to do mine publicly. I wasn't going to come out publicly at all. But he did say to me, you could save a life. Not lives, a life. And that played, I played in my mind and it 
And it reminded me of that that 12-year-old that saw Caroline Cossey on TV. That she was she was the one that I always went back to in my mind knowing that she did it. If she can do it, I can do it. Gosh, I'm getting emotional talking about this. But if, if I have helped anyone in any way, that makes me that makes me happy. The struggles that I've gone through and the pain I've gone through and everything to get where I am today. It's all been worth it. Because it's if it's helped someone else. So my GP gets me on the pathway and I'm seen within the 18 week period or whatever it is. I'm referred, I'm in the system. I'm getting psychotherapy. And one of the first things I'm like saying, look, uh, if I've, And I, I think what psychotherapy did for me as well, it got to the real issues. It got to the bottom because originally I was like, can you give me a pill? Can you make this go away? But that's wrong because all that is, is sticking a plaster yeah. on it. It's not getting to the root of the problem. And the psychotherapy got to the root of the problem. And after 18 months of psychotherapy, I then started hormones, then started growing my hair. So I went from shaved headed stubble to long hair and hair removal. <laughs> it was quite the... Uh, I, I remember seeing the difference at this stage. I remember seeing the difference and it made sense with what came afterwards because you did start to grow your hair. Things looked a bit different. The look of you shifted a bit subtly. Everyone thought it was I ill. Yeah, I think people thought something might have been up because people might have been able to tell that there was something going on at that particular Baggy point. Baggy t-shirts because the boobs were growing. So finally I was getting what I wanted all of those years. <laughs> Only took 20 years later, but yeah. Um, the difference between the, the, the doctor's experience is profound, isn't it, there really? So you, you've got your early 90s experience where the doctor says, don't consider this, yeah. all the way through to... The change point, really, which seems to have been around about a decade ago, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, I know a lot about this. Several people in our village have transitioned. What? Uh, what were them words like? He must oh, have been it's like, like I'd won the lottery. It was like, what? I was like, gosh. And then YouTube happened. I would come on from the show every day and I would be watching, hoping that these people who were vlogging their transitions had done an update. There was about 10 or 15 that I followed in the early days of YouTube. And I was like, oh my gosh. This is, I just, yeah. And that kept me going. There's an incredible racing driver called Charlie Martin. She's awesome. Look her up. And she vlogged her transition. And she was just before me. She was like 18 months ahead of me. And I was like, she's, she's, and she was, you know, wow, if she can do it, similar age, that kind of stuff. She may be about five years younger than me or something like that, but you know, similar kind of adulthood. And um, there was some in America. I was like, gosh, and that's what I do after the show. Just sit and watch these videos. And that gave me hope. And it showed me that I could do this. And that's what you need, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. That's what this conversation's about. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It's showing people I mean, that hope, whatever you're going through in life, where you may not even be on the LGBT spectrum. You may be in a relationship that's that you're trapped. You might be in a job that you're trapped in. It just shows you that there's hope. You can press stop on this. You can this. make the you change. Can make change. We have it within us to do that, don't oh, we? Oh, massively. Totally. Next time on Outcast UK. So if anyone's listening to this and they go, I don't get it. You're not meant to get it. I'm not asking you to get it. All I ask and all anyone asks is that you accept. I'm obviously shitting myself at this point. I've also got Eddie Izzard, incredible Eddie, Eddie at the side of me, and she's saying to me, you need to tell him, you need to tell him. Play Outcast UK on TikTok and Instagram. Just search 